Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be reviewing Tiny Epic Galaxies and its expansion Beyond the Black. But first, as always, let's talk about what we've been playing. So, as many of you, or any of you who have joined us on the live stream probably noticed, we did not actually play Seafall last week. Womp womp. Or the week before, whenever you're listening to this. We did not actually get to play Seafall. <laughs> we instead decided to try out the sequel to Above and Below, Near and Far, which is a game that both of us have been really excited about, and with good reason. Right. Obviously, frequent listeners will know we love Above and Below, we love Red Raven games, and so when this one you know, was announced, we were really super excited for it, we finally got it to table, and it did not disappoint. It's a great game. There's lots of nuance there, and it captures the exploration and sort of, you know, almost narrative role-playing aspects of Above and Below, while also building on it with a lot of new mechanics, a lot of nuance, and a lot of really interesting characters. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I really liked about Near and Far versus Above and Below is that things that you do are all tied to actual locations. Yeah. So like there are just as many, but they were able to go into much more detail. And one of the criticisms I had of Above and Below was that they didn't have the resolutions like written out in a story form. Mm-hmm. It just said, oh, you gained this. Here in Near and Far, you get that as well. They tell you like what happens. Like when I tried to help somebody and instead they robbed me blind. Yeah, that was um, great. <laughs> so it was just... They added enough to it, and they changed a lot of it up. They added, like, a campaign mode. Mm -hmm. It's great. It it seems to be really, really well done, and I cannot wait to get to play it again. Yeah, definitely. The scenario that we played was sort of the introductory scenario, so we didn't interact with characters themselves or permanent alterations to those things, so we didn't have, you know, the trait system or permanently acquiring items, any of that. So I'm very much looking forward to getting to interact with that just because, you know, between Seafall, between Pandemic Legacy, campaign modes in games is sort of a new thing that's very popular lately, which I love Yeah. because I love campaigns. I've always loved campaigns. <laughs> I like playing single player versions of multiplayer games. Yes. So this works out really, really well for me. And I'm excited to see how the search for the lost city goes uh once you know we can get four of us to table and start playing through that who will come out on top tune in and find out but cue dramatic music yeah so yeah it's just a lot of fun i really liked just about everything to do it you didn't actually get to play i didn't um yeah i didn't actually get to play um we we ended up having five people because you know obviously we were expecting to play seafall but I was able to be the rules lawyer, which I think was actually pretty important for our first game because there's a lot going on in Near and Far. Um, There's lots of different interactions. There's lots of different items and actions and like different things that you can do. So I think it was useful for all of us that our first time playing through, we had one person whose job it was to just flip through the rule book because even then, you know, I still got stuff wrong. I misread stuff or I skipped over stuff, but we had enough of a person dedicated that other people were able to patch up my knowledge while still playing the game, as opposed to everybody having to police each other. Yeah, exactly. So the rule book itself was like 40 pages long, right? 
Yeah, I think exactly 40 pages. So it's a monster. Be, be aware that this is this game has a lot of rules, but they are worth it. Yeah. Other than that, you actually had a weekend of Ryan Lacotte games. I did. We had a Red Raven Fest. My partner, Meg, and I, we were you know just looking for some stuff to do, and I recently acquired two of their smaller games, Dingo's Dreams, which is sort of a spatial game. You push tiles around and try to get them all facing the correct way in a certain pattern. They have faces on one side and animals on the other. You're trying to flip them animal side up into that pattern. And cards show up to reveal which face you flip at any given time. So it's a fun game. You know, it's quick, it's light, it's cute, as most of their games are. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then we, I also acquired 8-Minute Empire Legends, which is really, really great. It's sort of a territory control game, but in a very small box, very quick, easy to pick up and play package. So that was a that was a lot of fun. It was good getting to play that again. I had played it before, but only once, and Meg had never played it. So um, it was good to to be able to sit down and start to open up my own copies and yep. you know start burning through my personal game library instead of cannibalizing yours. <laughs> I've got enough there to last us for a while because it's yeah. not like I stopped buying games. No, yeah, we'll definitely get through the winter with this. We're, we're in good <laughs> yeah, shape. The winter in the next three years. Yeah, we won't have to go Donner Party on. So, I actually was traveling this weekend. Mm -hmm. I was up on Long Island where, where my family is, and I didn't really get to play any board games there, but I did actually get to play... Race for the Galaxy in app format. Oh, that's cool. So it was, it's a new app. So Race for the Galaxy, a lot of people will know that they had a, an, they, they had a big presence on uh, online in general, but that was all for PC and that was like, rather than actually sanctioned by the company. Sure. So now they finally have an app at $6.99 on the Google Play Store, which is a bit expensive for an app, but at the same time, it's really well made. I do have a few complaints on it, just because some of it is, uh, you know, it's a bit small, it's probably better for tablets or mm -hmm. whatever, but it's also, I, I don't know really much of a better way of doing it. You just need to get used to that, I guess. So it was a lot of fun. I played it pretty much my entire trip back from New York down to DC. Wow. So I was playing it for quite a few hours. Yeah, that's not a short trip. No, no. So... It's it's a fun game. It reignited my love for the game itself. Like, I it was one of the first board games that I ever played. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was after Seven Wonders and like the Resistance. I think that this was the game that one of my good friends introduced me to. Okay. And I started playing that. I really enjoyed it, and I hadn't played it for like I don't know two or three years, and got to pick it up now, and I'm really glad that I did. That's really cool, you know, getting to play sort of a nostalgic classic mm -hmm. like that has got to be really fun. In terms, you know, we've talked before about digital games and digital mm -hmm. versions of analog games. So in terms of, you know, how successful it is as a digital version of, you know, one of your first board games, how how is it? Does it work pretty well? Does it translate well? I think it translates quite well. Uh, there are a few things that, I mean because of the small screen you have to give up on a few things so for example in, in race for the galaxy 
normally you you see what everyone else has like in front of them mm -hmm. right? all the different planets so you can almost tell what they're going for right now that is condensed to a really tiny little graphic okay. of just like you know oh they have a one development two development six development like you know a planet that's this cost this cost this cost which i mean once you know the game well enough you can tell like sort of what kind of strategy they're going for mm -hmm. but at the same time it's just it's a little bit annoying it's just something that you have to get used to actually looking at to see what the other player is doing sure a bit of a learning curve because it almost feels more of just you know a solo game where all you're doing is really looking at the points of the other player which is actually one of the things that i think is a great improvement on the game it actually calculates within the card. Like, for example, the uh, the six cost developments, okay. which are usually dependent on other things. Okay, yeah. It, it, in your hand, it'll show you what is the point value of that right now. Sure, it gives you, yeah, it displays that synergy within the context yes. of things so you don't have to calculate it yourself. Exactly. So it, it's nice to be able to see both exactly the number of points that are acquired by or accumulated by both players. So that is definitely a quality of life improvement over the actual game, but also you know you have the space constraints. So yeah, unfortunately, they they probably could have made use of the screen area a little bit better, but for the most part, I really did enjoy it. That's really good. And there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. Greg, join me, and together we will take over the galaxy. Uh, I'm just gonna buy him out. That works too, I guess. So yeah, that's Tiny Epic Galaxies in a Nutshell, attempting to gain control over the universe by diplomacy and economics. Not that much conquest. I will stop doing that voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's a game in which you are pretty much trying to take over all different kinds of planets, either through diplomatic means, economic means... And all through dice rolling. Mm -hmm. So the base of the game itself is the dice. So you have six-sided dice. Each side uh, represents a certain action that you can take. Uh, you have two resource actions, which are the energy and the culture actions. And these will increase your energy and your culture based on how many ships you have in planets or areas of that type right then you have your colonization sides which are diplomacy and economy and these will help you move forward in actually colonizing the planets right and it's not an either or each planet for the most part has one track that it needs in order to be taken over so if a planet requires you to spend economy faces essentially to take it over then you can't use diplomacy to do that you have to use diplomacy for different planets, and there are gameplay consequences that go along with those. Usually, though not always, diplomacy planets are associated with culture, and economy planets are associated with energy, but, as I said, that can change. Yeah. And the last two faces of the die are slightly different. You have, first of all, the movement action, which, as it states, is movement. You get to move one of your rocket ships from one area so you could do it move from a galaxy from a planet to you know however you like to another area so if for example you want to move one of your spaceships you can move it to a planet that you want to take over and start going down that track or you can 
landed on a planet whose ability you want to use and just use it that way. Right. And then the last action is the colony action. Not the colonize action, but the <laughs> colony action. So the colony action, what that does is that lets you activate either your galaxy and upgrade your empire to another level, which can give you more dice and more ships and more points. Or it can activate one of the planets that you have already taken over and colonized and activate the ability that has at the bottom of the card, just as if you were to land on it when it was still out there. Exactly. And this gets us into the second big part of the game, which is dice give you actions, planets give you abilities. So each planet has an ability associated with it. They can be things like advance yourself on the economy track of one planet or gain culture and your opponents also gain culture, steal culture from your opponents, so on and so forth, things like that. Each planet, in addition to having an ability, has two zones. You have orbit around the planet, which is the track along which you have to advance in order to successfully colonize it. And then there's the planet itself. So if when you move, you enter orbit, you can start colonizing with the intent to take it over and gain exclusive access to that planet's ability via the colony action. Or if you just really need to boost right away, you can instead land on the surface of the planet, you can perform that ability, and then, you know, that's it. Subsequently, other players can perform that ability, you can move your ship away, so on and so forth. So there's there's almost a permanent investment versus temporary benefit sort of either or that you have to go with when you're considering whether you want to land on a planet or colonize it. Yeah, exactly. And when you colonize a planet, you also get points based on how difficult that planet is to colonize. So you do have incentive to actually take those and bring them into your own galaxy, not just leave them out. Right. And in the base game, planets is basically the only source of points. Um, upgrading your empire gives you an increasing amount of points. But since the game end is triggered by, I believe, 21 points even in the base game, and upgrading your empire caps at 8, there's basically no way to trigger the end game without acquiring a bunch of planets. Yep. So colonizing is always going to be a part of your strategy. There is one other way that you can get some points, and this is something that doesn't actually factor into the track for points for end game. So normally when someone gets to 21 points on the track, meaning visible points, the game ends after the last person in that turn order was able to take their last turn. There are also secret objectives which are revealed after the end game has, has started and those just give you points, uh, usually two or three points depending on the difficulty for completing a certain condition. Right. So it could be end the game with exactly a certain number of planets. It could be have more you know, economy planets than anyone else at the table. Whatever it is. It, it can really help you a lot. And I mean, those points are just a little bit extra. So they just, you know, can push you over the edge. They only usually give two to three points. So it's not huge in the grand scale of things. It's not really a catch-up mechanic, but it's like what will give you that little tiny bit of an edge if you're really close to someone else. It can definitely make the difference. So as we mentioned, this is a dice game, but like all good dice games designed, at least in the modern era, it has mitigation effects in place so that the game relies more on strategy than on luck. And there are three different mitigations. The first is re-rolling, 
by default, you get one free reroll per turn. You can reroll any number of dice at any time during your turn, as long as those dice haven't yet been spent. So, you know, say you roll, you get three diplomacy dice, but you don't have any of your ships on a diplomacy planet, and you don't have any movement to get there. So you're like, well, these are useless. Reroll them, hope to get something better. The first one's free. After that, each additional reroll costs you one energy. So that's the primary use for that, for you've upgraded your empire. The second form of mitigation is called following. This is a mechanic that allows you to perform the same action as a player who just performed an action using a die. So say, for example, Jacob and I are playing together, and Jacob uses a diplomacy action to advance one space on the diplomacy track of a planet, planet A, let's call it. Mm-hmm. I have a ship on the colony track of planet B, which is only one space away from completely colonizing that planet. I can spend one culture to follow that diplomacy action to move myself up one track, basically to take the action as though I were the one who spent the die. So this is a lot more powerful than rerolling because it gives you a lot more control over which action you can perform and win. But in the base game, at least, culture is much harder to come by because your galaxy gives you energy but doesn't give you culture, which means you have to rely exclusively on planets or on special abilities. And it's not even the planets that you have colonized. It has to be planets that you are in orbit around or that you have landed on. Exactly. And then the third form of mitigation is the most straightforward but also the most expensive. You can spend two dice of any type to change the face of a third die to any face you want. So it requires three total dice, which is a huge investment. But if you're just desperately looking for a colony action, you're out of energy, you can't reliably follow, you just need this to get you know your final tier of your empire to perform a special action, whatever it is, there is a way to do that. So these are the sort of effects that you can use to get around what would otherwise be a very heavily luck-dependent mechanic. And I think they're, they're pretty well implemented. Yeah. So let's take a little step back to the actual resource gathering. And I mentioned that it has to do with where your ships are orbiting. The way that that works is that when you roll, let's say, an energy die, you get one energy per ship that is either on a planet, orbiting a planet, or in your galaxy when it has the energy symbol there. So if I had one of my ships out you know, on a culture planet, another ship on the energy planet, and my third ship in my galaxy, I would then be able to get two energy per energy die. Same thing goes for the culture. So for every ship that is orbiting a culture planet or on a culture planet, you would be able to gain one culture. And this is why it's very difficult to increase the culture, especially in the base game, because you need to have your ships constantly out on culture planets. Whereas when they come back to your galaxy, they will just gain energy. Exactly. There's definitely a balancing act that has to take place if you want to prioritize culture, and it can be very tenuous. So far, all the mechanics that we talked about are in the base Tiny Epic Galaxies game. It's very well designed, it's very coherent, and it definitely has an internal balance. But the expansion beyond the black brings a lot of new mechanics and really is a breath of fresh air, I think, in terms of making strategies that weren't previously viable, viable. So let's talk about the two big mechanics that come with Beyond the Black pilots, 
and exploration. Let's start with the pilots. The pilots are, first of all, they're really cool because you get to have like these new ships instead of just the, you know your regular wooden uh, ship meeples. Uh, you now have like these special ones. Like one of them looks like the Enterprise. And like, oh my god, they're so cool. They're they're just really awesome. So as you can see, components wise, great game. <laughs> <laughs> but what the the, uh, the pilots do is that they give you a special ability for that ship. So you can hire pilots by having two of a kind of uh, a certain die face. So the resource dice, when you have two of a kind, will get you a pilot for this one certain ship. If you have two of a kind of uh, movement, it'll get you the pilot for a different kind of ship. And so on and so forth for the uh, colonization and the colonize actions. Now, the pilots can do many different kinds of things. Uh, these include changing how you can do movement, allowing you to do additional movement, or having different triggers for that movement. They can also change uh, the way that you gather certain resources. But most importantly, a lot of them also have abilities that have to do with the exploration of the unknown space, the great beyond. Right. So as you might expect from an expansion called Beyond the Black, one of the biggest things that this adds is a board called Unexplored Space, which counts as a space where you can move your ships. Importantly, as long as any ship is on that space, it grants culture. So this is huge for the balance of the game because it means that there is now a permanent space where you can go to gather culture. But also, when you move to Unexplored Space, you can choose to take the top card from a stack of Unexplored Space cards and see what it does. Most of these are beneficial. They'll say things like, gain one energy or, you know, gain one of each resource, so on and so forth. And you can either choose to take that into your hand, gaining those resources and keeping it face down next to you, or you can choose to keep exploring. If you choose to keep exploring, hunting for something better, you can do that until you've reached three discarded exploration tokens, at which point you have to take the fourth thing because the queue of explored areas can only be three deep. Or... Once you reach a hazard zone, which are red bordered, they have an exclamation point on them. And generally these are bad things. So at the very least, they're gonna cause you to lose resources. Sometimes they might even require your ships to remain locked in place. There's one, I believe it's called Black Hole, which essentially puts a two space, quote, colonized track on the card that requires that your ship remain there until it advances those two spaces by spending either diplomacy or economy. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. The unexplored space, you know, unsurprisingly, is dangerous. Um, but it can also be very, very rewarding, especially because unexplored space comes with exploration symbols, which will award points at the end of the game. Yeah, so these exploration symbols, especially at the end of the game, they add an element of maybe not randomness, but a little bit of an extra end game element. So it's not like the person that seems to be ahead the whole time is definitely going to be ahead. Mm -hmm. Like in the games that we've played with beyond the black, there's been a bit of a catch up mechanic using the exploration symbols. Yeah. So this brings us to the entire like, gameplay, I think of tiny epic galaxies and beyond black. First off, the game is pretty quick. Very. It plays in an hour or so at most, depending on how many players you have. You probably could go up to an hour and a half if you had like the full five. Right. 
because it does play one to five, which is pretty great. It's a great spread. You can play it alone. You can also play it with up to four other people. Yeah. So for a game that has that many players, they did a great job pacing it, for sure. Mm-hmm. The curve for the empire building is very natural feeling. You feel like you're getting there. And it's not one of those games that almost seems to end prematurely. It seems to end at like you know where everyone is at the cusp of being like okay i'm ready for like this to be like you know i'm ready for the end game yeah and one of the other great things about the game even though it is quick you know with a lot of quick games that are active player turn-based your attention can sometimes wander you know people wander off they start paying attention to their phones things like that but this is a game that really rewards investment even from the non-active players because of the follow mechanic So you have to be paying really close attention to know, oh, this person just used that ability. If I follow that, then I can get this really powerful benefit. So it keeps all players invested, even for the relatively short time that they're not actively taking actions. So from a design standpoint, that's really a superb way to go. Yeah, and another thing is just that something that the two of us really appreciate, which is the fact that there are multiple pathways to victory. Yes. You have different strategies that you can use that are very close to the same effectiveness, especially with the addition of Beyond the Black. That really added a lot of mitigation to the strategies that were not as powerful before and uh, really helps a lot in that. That said, no game is perfect, and this does lead us into one strategy which is almost required for success, and that is upgrading your empire. Upgrading your empire is at the core of any successful strategy almost 100% of the time, simply because in addition to giving you points straight up, it gives you more dice to roll, and it gives you more ships to put on the field, which just multiplies the amount of things that you can do per turn. So it's a little bit understandable. You know, obviously a game about taking over the galaxy and building your galactic empire is going to require you to upgrade your empire. But since the bulk of the points in each game come from either colonizing planets or exploring space the fact that it is almost mandatory does sort of railroad the game a little bit which leads to our second complaint and that is that you can have a runaway game you can have someone who gets really good rolls throughout the first few turns they're able to upgrade their empire like completely uh, and then they just are head and shoulders above everyone else they create an engine especially for culture so they can follow just everyone's actions and that just you know gives them a very big upper hand to uh, the game itself and they can run away with the victory pretty easily at, at that point it's not easy to get there but if someone does it's almost impossible for the rest of the the players to catch up yeah very much and then the final thing this is much more of a nitpick but with the pilots included in Beyond the Black, because each pilot is specific to one, maybe two or three types of ships, and those require specific dice to get, a lot of the pilots can stagnate on the board. You know, if people either aren't rolling those doubles or want to spend, you know, movement is a very valuable commodity. So hiring a pilot for the Intrepid, the double movement ship, often doesn't happen. So they sit there for quite a while, and it would be nice if there was away what maybe it's you know spend two dice of the same face or you know spend energy whatever it is if there were a way to refresh the pilot stack i think that would go a long way just towards keeping the 
mechanic relevant because especially in you know the last game we played and in a couple others there have been times where it's just like okay each of us got one or two pilots and now we're gonna go focus on other stuff which maybe is what they intended you know pilots are more of a supplementary thing to the conquering planets and to the exploring space but it would still be nice to have yeah i agreed that all being said what do you think of the game i love it i think it's a really great game in terms of final rating i'm gonna give it a buy it you know it's a big box game that just happens to fit in a small box it's really really great for what it is even just the base game if you can acquire you know a bundle that comes with both that and beyond the black absolutely do it it's a high quality expansion but if you can't if all you can pick up at any given time is the base game do that too because it is a lot of fun there's a solo mode if you can't reliably get your friends to table but if you can it's a great game to play with up to five I'm going to echo that. I really enjoy the game. It was something that I kickstarted back in the day and has still been one of my favorites in general. It's a game that I can play with beginners as well as with people who are much more into board games already. It keeps everyone's interest and is just a lot of fun to bring to table. Beyond the Black has just added to that. They added the really cool new meeples. They added the pilots, the exploration, and it just... Um, when you put the two games together, the price for both of them is around $60. And I mean, that's about the price of many of the other big strategy games. And I would equate them. Like I would say that they, both of them are like, about the same amount of game in there, even though Tiny Epic Galaxies is tiny. But as it says, it's also epic. There it is. And... That's why I'm going to not only go for a buy it, but I am actually going to put this on my top shelf. So, just an, another one. I think this was either my third or my fourth top shelf game, and I think it really much des- uh, very much deserves it. I love the game. Always a blast to bring it to table, and Beyond the Black has just solidified it in total. Well, that's fantastic. Before we go, let's talk about some games that we feel are similar that you might enjoy if you enjoy Tiny Epic Galaxies or vice versa. First is New Bedford. We've talked about this a couple times. It's a very similar action economy type of game, especially with elements like the buildings in New Bedford or planets in this case. You've got sort of communal buildings that anyone can use, but you can also, through investment, take over those actions and hoard them for yourself. There's also, in New Bedford, whaling in Tiny Epic Galaxy's colonization, a mechanic that requires a multi-turn investment in which players are competing directly against one another for points. You know, whales are the primary source of points. Planets are the primary source of points. And those are, in any case, going to require a multi-turn investment. So there's a lot of overlap there. Takes slightly different forms, definitely very different theme. But if you like New Bedford, check out Tiny Epic Galaxies. And the other one that we'll recommend is actually something that is similar in theme, and it's actually something that I talked about earlier in the episode, and that is Race for the Galaxy. So Race for the Galaxy is another one of those games where you are trying to build your empire, you're building the different planets, it, it's, you have the whole cost-benefit analysis, you still have to look at what everyone else is doing, so you're not like competing for the same strategies, and there's just a lot of the same, plus like the theme itself, Uh, is pretty strong with the galactic conquest pretty much so 
both Race for the Galaxy and Tiny Epic Galaxies are really good in that way that there's just like you're building your empire. It's a little enough player interaction to keep it interesting, but still very much engine building and trying to build your own tableau. All right, and there you have it. That's our review of Tiny Epic Galaxies. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in to our live streams. Unfortunately, they will not be happening next week, but every Wednesday other than that, we are going to be live streaming board games including Zombicide, Seafall, and Near and Far. Also, don't forget to go to the WashingtonCon.com website in order to get tickets for WashingtonCon. WashingtonCon is going on September 9th and 10th. It's going to be a great time. There are going to be a lot of really cool people there, especially game designers of some of your favorite games. And we're also going to have a huge game library, which is available to anyone who comes. The tickets are on sale right now, and you can get discounts for children as well as a Sunday-only ticket if you would like. Next week, we're going to have a special episode. There, we're going to discuss all the games we play while we're on our getaway this weekend. And be sure to join us the week after when we will be reviewing Terraforming Mars.